Good afternoon, my friends. The doctor is in the house. Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited and blessed to be here today. I'm also humbled because of my amazing guests, who you'll meet in a few moments. But happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. We are continuing our month-long discussion, men's health. Fellas, we're talking about you. We're talking to you, but we're also talking for you. For the women out there, hey, grab your loved one. Grab your husband, grab your brother, grab your, grab your dad, grab whoever is of the male chromosome and find them and have them listen to us right now because, hey, we're talking about some really good stuff. Today, I'm so excited to bring you guys part three of my men's health series, Ideal Cardiovascular Health. And who better to have on my show than some of my longtime friends who are esteemed cardiologists at the top of their games to give us the information you need to be successful with your health, and especially with your heart health. So again, I'm so excited. You're listening here live on Facebook. You're here listening here as well on intellectualradio.com. Check me out on my website, www.drmarcomez.com. Hey, we're going to come get it today. Ideal cardiovascular health. So you guys are going to meet my colleagues, my friends, and and experts, Dr. Steve Loam and Dr. Greg Macaluso in a few moments. But before we dive into this, let me hit you with a quick disclaimer. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. All right, fellas. Listen, men. Heart, number one killer, fact. We gotta do something about this. We are all at risk for something, but at the end of the day, I want you all to live healthy, fulfilling, and purposeful lives. You know, we want you guys to be successful with everything that you do. We all want that longevity. We all want the vitality. We all want the quality of life. Well, the reality is we gotta work for it. Uh, there's no doubt, some of us are blessed to have genes that'll give us those kind of traits. But the reality is we gotta work for it, so let's talk about it. And for men, the number one killer, again, heart disease. Let's talk about it more and hopefully empower each other, lift each other up to move the needle and make a difference. So today's show, again, Ideal Cardiovascular Health, we're gonna talk about it. And how I've broken down this show, as you're gonna meet my guests in a few moments, we're gonna talk a little prevention, we're gonna talk a little disease, we're definitely going to talk myths versus facts, which is one of my favorite sections that I do on the show. But really, at the end of the day, we want to create that message of engagement. I want you guys to not just have this conversation today. I want this conversation to be part of an everyday conversation. And I want you to be engaged. And if you haven't seen your doctor in a long time, because men, I'm calling you guys out. Some of you fellas have not been to the doctor in a while. Go see your doc. Remember, your doc is there for you to help you out at all needs. If something breaks down with your, with your health, your doc is your person to rely on. So I implore you to establish with a doc and just get engaged. You have to take care of yourself to be able to continue to take care of others in your life. So without further ado, I want to welcome my guests to the show. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. We have this amazing Loyola connection. Hashtag Loyola. Got to give a shout out. Uh, and I've known both these gentlemen for a long time, so let me introduce you to my guests. My first guest, immediately to my right, 
Dr. Stephen Loam. You guys have met him before. He was on my plant-based show that we did back in November, uh, The Power of Plant-Based Nutrition. Check it out, by the way. Dropping some serious knowledge, but also some a serious message and engagement of opportunity for success. So I want to welcome back my good friend, Dr. Stephen Loam. Let me read his credentials to you. Dr. Stephen Loam is a board-certified cardiologist with Rush Coffee Medical Center. He's the founder and chairman of Plant-Based Nutrition Movement. Check him out, www.pbnm.org. Founder slash author of www.heartstrong.com and founder slash author of www.learntheheart.com. Dr. Loam is a jack of all trades. I consider him a good friend of mine. And so, Dr. Loam, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back, and it's great to be here. Dr. Long, just tell us a little bit of your credentials. Tell us where you went to medical school. We all know that we got the loyal engagement. You can say that again. Where did you do your fellowship training and all that kind of stuff? Sure, yeah. I started out actually at Benedictine University in Lyle, biochemistry. Went on to Midwestern University for the doctorate degree. And then uh, we did medicine residency at Loyola. Stayed there for fellowship and been in practice as a, as a cardiologist now for uh, approaching nine years. Time flies. So, Time flies yeah. and you're having fun. Why don't you give us an opening statement? What do you think about ideal cardiovascular health? When you, when you hear those kind of words, what does it mean to you for men out there? Well, ideal cardiovascular health, of course, is, is crazy important. As you said, heart disease is number one cause of death in America and actually on the whole planet Earth. And the, the mind-blowing statistic about it all is according to the World Health Organization, 80% preventable. According to multiple other organizations, it's probably in the mid to upper 90% preventable. And so in the ideal situation, if you do everything absolutely perfect with diet, with exercise, keeping your weight healthy, not smoking cigarettes, those things, you should be able to drop your cardiovascular disease risk down to near zero, especially if you do so from an extremely young age as the foundation for cardiovascular disease really starts in childhood. So getting the kids healthy is important, but ideal cardiovascular health would be regular physical activity, 150 to 300 minutes of aerobic exercise with a couple of days of strength training thrown in there, reaching your ideal body weight, eating predominantly or exclusively whole food, plant-based diet, and of course avoiding those other things that can damage arteries like tobacco and and other uh, pollutants and such. So that's that's what we want. Well, we're going to talk about it some yeah. more and talk about opportunities. So thank you again for coming on the show, Dr. Loam. My next guest, he and I have known each other for a long time as well. We met in the hallowed halls of Loyola Stritch University School of Medicine back in the year 2000. And uh, so I consider him, a, a, literally, I've known him half my life, uh, a dear friend, an expert clinician. So I want to welcome my good friend, Dr. Greg Macaluso, to the show. Dr. Macaluso, welcome to the show. I want to read your quick credentials. Dr. Macaluso is a board-certified cardiologist. He's a heart failure transplant ex expert. He's at the Heart Care Centers of Illinois. Check him out, www.heartcc.com. Dr. Macaluso, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks a yes. lot, Mark. It's awesome to see you and super exciting to be here. So thanks for having me. Hey, please go ahead and just refresh your credentials where you, where you did your medical school training, where you did your fellowship and, and, um, and everything like that. Sure. So um, after uh, uh, college at University of Notre Dame, went to medical school together where I met you at Loyola University Medical School and then uh, stayed on in his residency there with Steve and then subsequently uh, matched for my fellowship up at Lutheran General in Park Ridge in Illinois locally and then went back to Loyola um, after spending a little bit of time outside of Lutheran with some folks at Northwestern for a couple months to kind of solidify my desire to do heart failure and transplant training. So since that time now I've been practicing for eight years uh, with the Heart Care Centers group and at Advocate Christ Medical Center where we do uh, surgically placed heart pumps and manage people with advanced heart failure and then subsequently those that are fortunate enough to receive a heart transplant. 
Excellent. Well, why don't you give us a few? Why don't you give us a statement on what this scheme ideal cardiovascular health means to you as a cardiologist? Yeah, I mean, well, certainly cardiovascular health. Many of the things that Dr. Loam really put really, really well <laughs> is hard to top on. But I think also to add to that is, you know, it, there's an, an inevitability to, to to the diseases that are going to be brought on, things like diabetes, potentially hypertension, um, and not only do we have to kind of look at this really aggressive preventive measures, which which uh, Steve talked about, but I think we, we really have to kind of make sure that the core measures to prevent things like uh, high blood pressure, which will lead to things like coronary artery disease and heart failure, um, we have to focus on that as well. So all the things like diet and exercise is super important, things that, you know, uh, we all have to do better, including myself, um, but certainly um, making sure that uh, we take care of our, uh, our our loved ones to do the same, make sure that we promote healthy lifestyles amongst amongst them, and that includes all the things really that Steve mentioned. So. Well, I, I thank you very much, and now that you guys met the panel, it's really about education, and, and that's the one reason why I created the show, is to get the message out there. I want people to leverage me, leverage my experts, and let's let's set the record straight. We're all about... You know, we're all about building the truth. We're about building that, that trust and building that, that truth. And that's what we're all about on this show. And so as we take the words that we're using today, I want people to apply those. But, but apply them in the sense, go talk to your doc. If you have questions, you know, you can certainly reach out to my panelists. Without a doubt, see them in their practices if you need, if you need to be so. Uh, Dr. Macaluso, you know, you're a heart failure doc, so we're not trying to necessarily see you uh, too much, but we love you anyways. If you need to, uh, I'm yeah. happy to help you. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> yes. If you need it, yeah, absolutely. you got to give them love where you can give love. But certainly Dr. Loam, as a, as a really, it's really emerged as, a, as one of the leading preventive cardiologists out here that I know of, but he's also very well known throughout the cardiology community and at the national level too. So I want to take advantage of those resources that we have in our back door. And so I'm grateful that, that you too, that I've known you both for a long time, but also that you guys are trusted resources for me and my, my patients. So thank you. So how's the show work? You guys just met the panel. What we're going to do, of course, we're going to ask some questions. I get to ask them a ton of questions since it's my show. Why not? Going back to our days as medical students and residents <laughs> getting, getting asked questions on uh, on our rounds and everything, but now I get the, the tides to turn, I get to pick on them a little bit. But again, we want to help set the record straight and know that men out there, you guys can do this. Believe in yourself, commit to healthy living. All you have to do is make that choice. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do, but you make that choice, you stay consistent, and I promise the possibilities will be endless. So here's a stat. I'm gonna hit you with a quick stat. 321,000 men in 2013 died from heart disease. That's nearly one in every four deaths in men. And heart disease is not discriminated. As Dr. Long said, the most common disease worldwide, and it does not discriminate when you look about men in all races, without a doubt. Um, African-American men, Latino men, Caucasian men, all races, uh, without a doubt. And the reality is that half of men who die suddenly of coronary heart disease have no previous symptoms. But even if you have had no symptoms, you may still be at risk for heart disease. And a lot of time for us as guys, and let's, let's just talk real. Guys, you know, we tend to like, uh, you know, delay a little bit. We say, oh, okay, I'm going to shake it off a little bit. Um, you know, I got some shortness of breath. I got a little chest discomfort. Um, you know, maybe I pulled the muscle, but guys seem to lag on for a while. There's no such thing as crying wolf when it comes to health. I'd rather know something and reassure you, and I know these docs would rather know something to reassure you than to delay treatment possibilities. And even when we talk about Dr. Macaluso, what he does as a heart failure transplant doctor, you know, you want to delay, you don't want to delay because if you delay too long, our possibilities of intervention are limited. So let me ask the first question to Dr. Loam. Here we go. Um, 
we mentioned a little bit before, but can you explain a little bit more the risk factors for heart disease? Sure, yeah. So there, there's basically there's a number of different risk factors. We kind of categorize them into major and minor risk factors. So major risk factors, high blood pressure, diabetes, uh, tobacco use, elevated cholesterol levels. And then uh, they tend to categorize uh, genetics, like family history in there as, as a major risk factor, which is it's within my realm uh, where we're advanced prevention and really the lifestyle medicine. We tend to, to downplay the genetic part of the risk factors because the common uh, saying that we say is, yeah, the genes may load the gun, but guess what, man? Diet and lifestyle pulls the trigger. Even if you're born with my dad had a heart, a heart attack, my brother or whatever, they also may not have had a healthy lifestyle. So if you don't follow their lifestyle, if you don't smoke, if you eat clean, if you exercise and stay thin, even though you may have a genetic risk or tendency, you can still avoid that disease process. You don't need to express the disease, even though you're, you're carrying that kind of risk factor gene in some senses. So, so those are the five, uh, the five major risk factors. And if you look at all those, you know what? They're all modifiable for the most part. You know, you can't modify your genes, but again, if you modify your lifestyle, then the genetic component isn't as important. Blood pressure, diabetes, smoking cigarettes, uh, your cholesterol numbers, those are all modifiable things that you can control within your own grasp. And that's why I tell my patients that they're the ones with the most control of their own health. Relying on the drugs to lower the, the numbers might give you a small percentage of risk reduction, but man, if you can just eliminate the diabetes or the blood pressure or get your cholesterol numbers crazy down low by eating clean exercise and losing weight, then you won't have those risk factors at all. Not just simply controlled with a pill, giving you a false sense that things are okay, but just say, hey, listen, I'm not diabetic anymore. That's what you want. Yes, so. absolutely. So, again, you talk about the power of prevention, and, and that's the mindset we have to have. Because so, the reality is, as we live in a, in a country, in a society where we're seeing nothing but rising chronic disease burden, we have to create that urgency now more than ever. This is a way to do it, but this conversation has to happen with you guys out there at home listening to us. You guys got to make that choice. But we want to support you. We're not necessarily telling you what to do as as docs, but we want you to do well. We want all our patients to do as well as they possibly can. I don't get offended if somebody doesn't see me in my practice, as long as I know that, hey, we're doing all right, you're on this right pathway, and I want you to continue to enjoy your life, your family, your loved ones, much more important than coming in to see me periodically. But I still want you to come and see me like once a year for your physical. Uh, so, so Dr. Macaluso, let me ask you this kind of question. So you're at the kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. We're talking about prevention from Dr. Lohm's perspective. When you see people come into your practice, you know, they're at kind of the end of the line. Uh, but I want to ask you a pre-question first. <clears throat> a lot of people may not know what heart failure is. Can you just kind of explain what is heart failure and what are some of the risks for heart failure? Yeah, absolutely. So um, congestive heart failure or heart failure you know, is essentially a weakening or a stiffening of the heart muscle to where it can't relax or can't pump enough blood out to the body, which really the heart controls everything in the body. It controls how much blood flow gets to the brain, the liver, the kidneys. All of your organs are dependent on your blood flow from your heart. So when that is impaired from a weakened or a stiffened heart muscle, um, then you're, you're, you're in jeopardy. Everything is in jeopardy. Um, now, the many of the risk factors, there's a number of risk factors that are out there. Uh, especially number one of those is really high blood pressure. High blood pressure is a huge problem um, that is, again, a treatable condition that, if untreated, can lead to either a weakened or a stiffened heart muscle or lead to um, a disruption of some of the arteries in the heart that Dr. Lohm spoke about where, you know, if you have the starting of cholesterol deposits or abnormalities of the heart arteries, 
though the high pressure that's in those arteries can cause those arteries to be damaged, a blood clot can form in an artery, and you can have a very significant <coughs> amount of damage to the heart muscle, so much so that it can't pump or relax efficiently. Um, and then really, uh, people live in this very chronically fluid overloaded state, the heart's a pump, and when it's weakened, it, it fills up in their lungs, it makes their kidneys, their liver, their, they feel sluggish and tired and weakened because they're, they don't get enough blood flow to their brain. Um, so, so being at the, at the, we would ideally argue that I would love it if nobody needed a transplant. We would love to prevent, to prevent all people from having to need that. And, and the reality is, is that it's an extremely scarce sort of boutique thing that people get is that it's, it, there's not enough organs to go around. 100,000 people need a heart transplant in the United States and only about just under the most we've ever done was the last couple of years and it's about 3,600 patients in the United States. Wow. So there's a huge lack of treatment for those patients. Luckily we have things like mechanical heart pumps, but many of those patients are still not candidates for those either. So prevention of treating high blood pressure, treating cholesterol, modifiable things that you can do, eating right, losing weight, to prevent disease from progressing to that sort of end stage is really what we'd, 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 what we'd want to do if we can. Excellent. You know, this month, it's great that we're trying to have this conversation because <clears throat> um, this month of February is American Heart Month, uh, and it's a national campaign, of course, to create more awareness about heart disease, not only in men, but also in women. And I think this kind of forms a great thing. You know, we've had more and more awareness um, over the past handful of decades, we're still, we're still faced with the fact that we're still dealing with the number one disease uh, in men and women, the number one killer in men and women in this country. Even though we're having this conversation, it just kind of tells us that we need to do more. So let me ask Dr. Long this question. What can we do better to kind of to help these numbers go in the opposite direction? Is there, uh, you know, we're going to fall off a cliff at some point? I, I hope not. I think we're getting closer, right? Getting closer, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the chronic disease rates are going up so much, and, and you know, I think last year, uh, cardiovascular deaths actually went up instead of going down, which is, is not a good thing. And so what can we do? Man, it's just, it's a cultural shift that we need. Well, our culture, just in general, is just not health-focused. We just don't think about health. We're young, you're invincible when you're young, you can eat what you want, and so a lot of people can still stay thin and feel fine. And of course, uh, fast food, convenient food, processed food, animal-based foods, they, they taste good, they're marketed to us. And, and so we just kind of go along with our culture without a second thought about what this is truly doing to our health. And you know, I fell into that trap myself, being 100 pounds heavier four years ago, and thank goodness got through it, but that's just, the way our culture is. And so in order to avoid all these chronic diseases, to focus on diet and lifestyle things, it, it needs to be a complete cultural shift. So how, how do you do that? Oh man, it's a tough task. It's, it's a daunting task because you got to go against really, for, from a prevention perspective, you're going against a multi-trillion dollar food industry. Uh, a nearly trillion dollar pharmaceutical industry because of course if everybody was healthy you wouldn't need the pills and a multi-trillion dollar healthcare system which right now is thriving on cranking out procedures and seeing patients and stuff which are predominantly preventable 86 percent of healthcare spending are for diseases that are preventable related to diet and lifestyle what do you eat do you exercise do you smoke do you drink alcohol in excess 86 percent that's like crazy it's about 16 percent of the american economy so to go against all these huge influences all these factors is so challenging when you already have a culture that is so into not focusing on health and then all these money influences against us. So really, the truth is stubborn. It comes out. Everybody knows that this is the right thing to do to focus on diet and lifestyle. It's just a matter of doing exactly what you're doing, Dr. G, is spreading the word. Spread the word. Get the education out there. Getting the word out. 
And, and people, what I tell people straight out in a lot of the presentations that I give, when I go through how important it is to eat plant-based, to exercise, stay thin, not smoke, and once I get to the end of that presentation, I say, listen, man, now you know that you can avoid these diseases. You know if you have a loved one that has heart disease, diabetes, hypertension, whatever, you now, even though you're not a doctor or a nurse or in the healthcare field whatsoever, having this knowledge gives you the power to save someone else's life. Now you are the one. You need to tell people. You need to spread. You know, we all kind of nag on each other nowadays about, oh, you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't smoke. Yet, we don't nag on each other about, hey man, you know, you need to exercise, you need to eat healthy, you got to eat more plant-based foods. We don't. It's just not a part of our culture. So we need to make it a normal conversation to say, listen, we need to all focus on our health prevention. Eat predominantly or hopefully exclusively plant-based, stay thin, exercise, and avoid those other harmful things. So, yeah. I think of like as guys, you know, that's the same question that Dr. Dr. Lone, uh, Dr. Michael on a second. You know, I think of us as guys, first of all, just getting guys to the door is the step one. It's like, let's be honest. We don't go. We need to go. Um, and for the wives out there, just literally just make an appointment for your, the best way to do it, make an appointment for your husband with a doc. And, and then literally if you have to drag him, you got to drag him there. But you got to help guys out. Although we should be more motivated as men to come forward and make our own health decisions. What's your thoughts, Dr. Macaluso, on the question that I asked uh, Dr. Loma about, about how do we how do we do better? Because we know we have to do better. Yeah, well, I think I just want to reiterate something. Yeah. I've known you for a long time, and I really want to tell you how proud I am of you for, for doing this and how great it is to actually take the time because there's a lot of misinformation out there. We see that all the time. And to have people that on your show that we know, like Steve and I, see people that we know care about medicine like we do to, to give the right information. So I want to thank you for doing that. But I think we need to, to take it one step further to Steve, all the things that he said, is that we need to be disruptive. We need to find ways to get into people to understand that this is a culture change and we're all taking care of each other. Get into people's churches, their communities. Get them to care about one another enough to get a blood pressure cuff. We were just talking yeah, about the about study that came out just recently, the barbershop blood pressure check. Do you hear about that? In the non-Hispanic black communities, there's a high rate of high blood pressure, which obviously leads to many of the cardiovascular diseases we know about. And a very smart cardiologist by the name of Dr. Victor put this study together where he, he, he basically worked with pharmacists and knew that the barbershop was a community of, of, of gentlemen, of, of black gentlemen that would, would talk about any number of different things and get their hair cut and kind of do guy stuff. But they would actually found out that culturally this was a way that they talked about their health even and getting them to check their blood pressure and then implement treatment with the help of a physician monitoring pharmacists. There was, in, in a randomization essentially of where they, a treatment group, a non-treatment group in this, where they put them on pills or not, there was a 22 millimeter drop in blood pressure in the group mm. that they gave medications to with a pharmacist's help. That is dramatic uh. if you can actually have that kind of benefit. And that's being disruptive uh, of what we, we say to do. What, what I do personally is different than that, certainly, but I've always said we need to go to the patients. I have six outreach clinics. We run around the city of Chicago and go and see people and say, hey, I'm here to see heart failure patients where they're not the heart failure specialists available. But that, to me, is a disruptive way of getting involved in your community um, and, and really helping one another take care of each other and say, this is something we need to do as our, our kind of our boys kind of thing, like getting the guys in the door, but say, dude, you gotta take your meds. I mean, my buddies will be the first one to tell me on our vague, on our, <laughs> our boys trip in March, they're gonna say, you're putting on too much weight, you gotta, you gotta get back in the gym, you know, or you gotta get, get your knee scoped or whatever if it's hurting you. So this is important about how we take care of one another, I think, is, is, a, is a cultural shift 
and, and be disruptive. Well, we got to do it, and I love how it's like we got to bring it to people's faces because we have to. And having this conversation is, is an amazing way to start. I try to get out into the community when I can and, and get out there and say, hey, we got to do this now. I was at a community event earlier today, and I was like, hey, we got we to do action now. Enough talk. We're talking the talk, but we need to walk the walk. And that's the only way to make these numbers go in the opposite direction. And yes, we're fighting up against a lot of different things that are pushing against us. But together, I believe, I truly believe that we can overcome these barriers and make a difference. And again, as I said at the beginning, we all want to live healthy, active, fulfilling, purposeful lives. And we can do that together. So I'm excited to continue to have this discussion. So here's another, another interesting thing. And I want to bring this up to uh, uh, Dr. Long. We talked about exercise a little bit, you know, make sure you're staying active. You mentioned the guidelines about getting 150 minutes a week, roughly a moderate intensity exercise. And I always tell people this, you can break that up. You know, you don't do 150 minutes right at one time. Break that up, spread the wealth a little bit, um, because I'd rather have you be moving than not. But I want to ask Dr. Dr. Long this question. And this is something that just came out recently. Uh, so this is last week published by JAMA. The Journal of American Medical Association. They made a whole bunch of made a whole bunch of internet uh, themes. So there was an article that looked at the association between push-up exercise capacity <laughs> and future cardiovascular events among active adult men. So here's what happened. It was published last week by uh, by by a physician out of Harvard named Justin Yang and his and his colleagues. And so they basically this out of the Harvard School of Public Health. They compared the heart health of male firefighters uh, over a ten-year period. They looked at over a thousand participants, and I go, first of all, the firefighters, I mean, that's a select niche right there, and uh, a lot of firefighters that I know are in very good shape, uh, but anyways, so they looked at over a thousand firefighters, they followed them over, the, over 10 years. The average age of the men were 40 years old, and their average BMI was just shy, of, just a little bit north of 28, 28.7. So out of those a thousand, it's actually 1,104 participants, 37 of them had heart problems in the form of coronary artery disease heart failure, or sudden cardiac death. The bottom line, they say, those men who could do more than 40 push-ups during a time test at a preliminary exam were 96% less likely to have developed cardiovascular problem over the course of, uh, over the course of that study compared to gentlemen who could only do less than 10 push-ups. And I kind of think, it kind of caught the news and everything, and a lot of my patients have been asking me this this week, and I go, all right, so push-up capacity, then the author surmised, Push-up capacity, quote, push-up capacity was more strongly associated with cardiovascular disease risk than the results of a submaximal treadmill test. And I thought that was very interesting. So all week I've been saying to my patients, I go, drop and give me 40 push-ups right now because <laughs> uh, you're more or less likely to do something. I don't know, Dr. Lowe, I don't know if you had a chance to kind of you know, read that study or anything or, or see it flash in your news feed, but it was interesting when they talked about the impact of cardiovascular activity and seeing now something like demanding like a push-up yeah. can have potential benefits from a cardiovascular standpoint. Well, absolutely. Well, I haven't read this study in detail, but I did I did get good wind of it, and, I, and I've discussed it with a couple of people actually within my organization. And yeah, yeah, I mean, if you think about 40 push-ups, that's kind of a lot of push-ups. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I mean, that's, that's, that's not... That's no that, joke. That's yeah. no joke. And so, <laughs> So and you're, when you're doing a push-up, you're combine, combining both kind of a strength training aspect and a little bit of an endurance aspect. Because 40 push-ups, granted, you're doing it in a short time, it takes a lot of it takes a lot of effort to do that. And so, yeah, certainly people who are in better shape uh, are going to have a markedly lower risk of cardiovascular disease. And uh, however, if if you really think about it, and I don't know if you guys can corroborate this, but I, I've had multiple 
marathon runners and people in great shape have cardiovascular disease, yeah, for sure. need bypass surgery. Absolutely. And so, I mean, the, 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 the myth that, hey man, uh, if as long as I, I work off these calories, I can eat whatever I want to, that's what you don't want. You don't want that, that myth to be perpetuated. The general concept that most people follow is thinking overall cardiovascular health and health in general might be about 20% related to exercise, but 80% related to what you eat. So eating clean is so much more important than the exercise, not to ignore that exercise component, but certainly, uh, if you can do that much uh, aerobic and strength type exercise, you're going to be in better shape. Why do you think life insurance companies, they're not starting to give big discounts. Yeah. If you can run a night and a mile, yeah, they, if you do. Do all these, they, they have it, even if you're eating plant-based diets, they, they do blood tests to make sure you are, and they give you lower rates on your life insurance. They, so, they know this stuff. Yeah. There's a financial gain in that, too. Yeah. So there you go, yeah. fellas. Yeah. got to start doing it. Yeah. Uh, so it's very interesting. You know, I was like, I was like interested hearing these kind of things, but it's great to kind of hear your insight on that. And that's just not, that's not all the answer that a guy can do, you can't just do 40 push-ups in a time, in a predetermined time and say, all right, I'm good, hands-free, I'm good. So you're right, you, you hit on the, on the nail. And if you think about it too, those, those people who are doing that many push-ups, they're probably eating cleaner than the people who can't do the push-ups because they're just in general more focused on their health, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So they probably have healthier diets. <laughs> so let me ask Dr. Rebecca Luso uh, a question. You know, you're from a heart failure, we're talking a little bit about exercise, and we know the role of, of as Dr. Loam just kind of talked about, and the role of what it does to help hopefully lower heart cardiovascular risk. Uh, but obviously lifestyle is a more important thing and then of course the things that he's talked about. What from your from a heart failure perspective, uh, I want to kind of ask this question. Are heart failure patients allowed to exercise? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, absolutely, we encourage it uh, in fact. Um, we can actually do, if uh, anyone with heart failure can actually have a functional assessment of their cardiac performance, it's called a cardiopulmonary stress test, um, which sometimes we do if I know my heart failure patients, particularly ones that maybe have a much more weakened heart, um, we can determine what their cardiac capacity is, how their heart and their lungs work together to allow them to exercise. Um, I sometimes do that up front because we have some data that can tell us whether or not they are significantly functionally limited. We can actually, some of these patients can be considered disabled. Most of these heart failure patients are very resilient. They want to work, they want to exercise. But exercise should not at all be precluded to patients with heart failure. Number one, we know from the HF Action Study that it may not help our heart failure patients live longer, but it helps them feel better, improves skeletal muscle function, helps them maintain their mobility, which is incredibly important when you have a chronic disease. Additionally, the cardiovascular benefits are there no matter what. Um, marathon running can be somewhat controversial, I think, but I, we, were, we encourage people to do cardiovascular exercise as well as some weightlifting um, and, and non-aerobic exercise as well, no matter what their disease process is. Uh, usually, um, and I don't know a lot of good data behind this, but people who have arrhythmic risk, we often avoid, we tell them to avoid very heavy or straining type lifting where they're going to be doing any sort of jerk or heavy, heavy deadlifting kind of lift exercise. But other than that, we usually don't, we don't discourage uh, any of that. I think one of the things that's important to mention is that some of these people, we do talk about prevention, but there are very important situations where people who are just getting involved in this now are going to have some underlying disease that they may not know about right away. And I'm sure you're, you may want to touch on this in a little bit, uh, uh, Mark, but the, the idea of like that, what are things we can do to kind of just detect 
what's there now. And I think Steve and I would probably both be proponents of, if you don't know if you have something, you know, you, you, you sometimes need to look. I mean, I'll be I getting my coronary calcium score now, and we can talk about that and how it's being incorporated into our treatment to know whether or not you have, you know, our, our arteries that are blocked. And these can be done safely, cheaply, with minimal radiation risk. And it's something that's been underutilized for a long time, primarily because um, a lot of times they're not covered out of, uh, without an out-of-pocket expense, which is now much more nominal. But oh, yeah. if you want to know if you have the disease, then you should even be more aggressive mm -hmm. to think about. You should immediately drop <laughs> your fork and, and run to, to the gym or get an evaluation by a physician because you may have the disease without knowing it. Well, let's talk a little bit about heart scans because I just had mine done. Uh, about four weeks ago, and I mentioned when I did the women's version of, the, of this ideal cardiovascular health show last month, and people, you guys can check that out. The ladies out there, or guys who want to know more about your wives or your girlfriends or your sisters, check out my, my, my women's version of this ideal cardiovascular health show that I did back last month. It's on my website. <clears throat> but uh, I had mine done four weeks ago, and, uh, and, and I actually, in our hospital system, I'm one of the, the biggest proponents of ordering these kind of tests. And you're right, Dr. Michael, you just mentioned the cost is not necessarily an issue much more now than it is. Actually, the cost effectiveness of it, is, it's, 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 an, it's an unbelievable now. We can get these things for sometimes 75 bucks uh, or even uh, some, maybe a little bit cheaper, 50 bucks, 99 bucks, but somewhere uh, around that price. That's exactly right. And, um, and to have five minutes of your time, and the five minutes wasn't even five minutes. It was really like three minutes. Uh, but to have an idea to see what's going on, but I think about the other things that you can see on these kind of tests. So the heart scan, it's a, it's a, it's a simple, it's a CT scan or, or, or um, uh, a CAT scan as we come and talk, to, talk about it, but literally you're lying on the table, uh, you go into the machine, kind of dips you in and out for about a few minutes, you hold your breath, uh, scans you, you come back out, you go back and get some fresh air, go back in. So it kind of dips you back in and forth a few minutes over the course of, a few times over the course of a few minutes. And then within about 10 minutes, you can get a preliminary result that says, is there maybe any evidence of, of anything going on? And somebody will, will test either as negative or they'll test that there is some uh, calcification and then you can quantify that. Interesting thing is that a lot of all the tests that I've done, and, uh, and by the way, men, I typically tell my guys, men age 40 and above, women 45 and above to get that test. <clears throat> We've actually seen some cases of other things found in the chest. Maybe the coronaries are, are clean, but we've seen um, spots on the lung, lung masses. We've seen, uh, actually, actually for the smokers out there, if your insurance isn't covering for a, a lung cancer screening uh, test, you can get a heart scan and you can see the lungs right there. Um, there's been a diagnosed case of breast cancer off of this. And a, and, a, and a female patient. So you can see a lot of different things. You can see some, if there's any abnormal lymph nodes in the chest. So let me ask this question to Dr. Loam. Um, we're seeing this more often now. Is there, an excuse, is there a reason for a guy not to get one of these if he meets criteria? Or, or are you telling all guys that, hey, maybe you guys should really consider this? I know it's not a dictatorship, you know, but you are their physician. In my opinion, yeah. I mean, you definitely want to know what's going on. Now, granted, now if you really think about it, everybody should be focusing on the cardiovascular health regardless of what their score shows. What you don't want is somebody to get a score of zero and say, hey, man, I'm free to go party and do whatever I want to. No, 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 you don't want that, no. So if you score zero, that's great, but hey, man, you got to keep it zero, right? So um, 
So we're talking about a coronary calcium score here. It is cheap. So yeah, I, I agree. Any man over the age of 40, women over the age of 45 should, should really get this done. Hope your number uh, is zero, but if you do score anything above zero, even a one or a two, man, you're starting. You're starting. And a one and two isn't that bad, but, uh, but still. You, you need to focus on all the right things. You want your cholesterol numbers to be as low as you can. You want to make sure you're protecting your arteries as much as possible. And, and uh, so I, I, I completely agree. I hand out you know prescriptions for those things. I order them left and right. There's some places you can go, you don't even need a doctor's order. You just show up and say, I want one, and boom. Even it, better. It's, it's done right there, yeah. Yeah, it's a, I think one of the most telling things I ever learned about as a young uh, resident was that you know these coronary calcification, which is a result of cholesterol and high blood pressure affecting the arteries and ultimately the, those become calcified and calcium in the artery or in and around the artery doesn't always mean that there's a significant blockage, but that process starts as early as people's late teens. In the Korean War veteran study where they had had young uh, patients who unfortunately had died at an autopsy started having coronary disease. So you don't have to be 40 and, and expect this to start. This is already starting um, because of that genetics. And then we turn on the switch, uh, we load the gun, you know, we, yeah. and then we, we fire it with what we do with our lives. And it could be for some people like throwing gasoline on a fire. Um, you know, I have it, have it certainly in my family. And um, if you know you have it, you absolutely have to be treated to targets that we would otherwise treat someone who's already had a heart attack. Um, that would be that would be what I would want to know as a, as a person who's out there now, maybe thinking about getting started to take care of the, their health uh, the way they should at our age. Excellent. Let me ask this question, to Doctor. I mean, we're all about it. So again, message: Go get a heart scan, <clears throat> fellas. You can do it. Let me ask this question to Doctor Doctor Ramon because this adds on the treatment side. <clears throat> um, a lot of times, I'll have guys, I might want to treat them, you know, maybe they're, again, they have cardiovascular risk, their lipids are not at goal. I say, all right, you need a statin. And then it's like, oh my gosh, like I said, like a curse word, yeah. which I didn't. What is going on? Why do, you, do we know why so many people seem to be so reluctant to well, take a statin medicine? Well, I think just in general, um, I think America is just frustrated with the pills. Yeah, you know, we have 5% of the world's population in America. We take 75% of the world's pills. We spend more money on drugs in America than the rest of the world combined. And a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of doctors have been kind of labeled as, as, as pill pushing, yet avoiding the lifestyle approach, which a lot of people want. Now, granted, you might talk to the patient about the lifestyle approach, but they don't actually do it. And that's why, you know, the pills do have their role. But you really think about it, nearly 50 million Americans take statins. And guess what? Heart disease is still the number one cause of death in America. And when you really break down the statistics, there's a really great video about this on a website called nutritionfacts.org. Uh, and if you break down the statistics, the, there's certain terms that we use, relative risk reduction and absolute risk reduction. Even in the highest risk people for cardiovascular disease, a diabetic who smokes, uh, putting them on a statin might give an absolute risk reduction of 5% or a relative risk reduction of 20%. So on an individual basis, you kind of go, wow, that's not really a lot. You know, what we call primary prevention, uh, there's another term that we use called the number needed to treat. How many people do you need to treat with a statin to prevent one event in a certain time frame? It's as high as 140 people you need to treat to prevent one event. But if you treat 50 million people, you're going to prevent a lot of events and save a lot of people's lives. However, again, on an individual basis, the overall risk reduction is somewhat low. Now, when you compare that to the power of eating a plant-based diet, exercising, staying thin, you can lower your risk by markedly more, 80-90%, because when you do the diet and lifestyle, you're treating the cause of the illness, 
you're treating what actually causes the arteries to clog in the first place versus the pill, you're just kind of treating the symptoms. So I, I think, you know, everybody knows there's side effects and there's risks to things. I think America's just frustrated that there's just so many pills out there and so many people still take the pills and still have heart attacks and strokes. And again, that's the, the reason is, is the pills don't treat the cause, so we need to treat the cause, which is lifestyle-related, you know? Essentially, speaking of lifestyle, I did a little research prior to the show, and I found uh, a couple of populations in the world where it's basically virtually absent coronary artery disease. So I've got a few different populations, and maybe we should start mimicking what, what they do, but we've got the Tarahumara Indians of northern Mexico, the Papa, Papa, the Papa Highlanders of New Guinea, and the inhabitants of rural China and Central Africa. They have virtually, they haven't seen documented cases of heart disease or coronary disease in a long time, if ever. Uh, in these populations. Do and we know why we, we're seeing that? Well, yeah, because they've, they've actually done age-matched uh, analysis where they take a bunch of people admitted to hospitals in those areas and age-match them to people who are admitted to hospitals in America, age and gender match. And the rates of, uh, it's not like they have low rates of cardiovascular disease. They have no cardiovascular <laughs> disease. Zero. Compared to it being epidemic in America, nearly everybody admitted to a hospital in America uh, has some form of cardiovascular disease. It's, it's just all over the place. When you look at these areas, and some of these are called the blue zones, they average at least 95% of calories from plant-based foods. They're thin, they're physically active, they don't smoke, except for the uh, Tarahimara Indians, they do smoke quite a bit. Uh, but they eat 99% plant-based, and they run like crazy. They are so physically active. They actually got a really interesting documentary on how they run some crazy, I forget, 50 miles daily or something to go harvest their their food. It, it's crazy. but So they, they follow all of these premises. But when you, when you really think about that, these cultures where it doesn't exist, you could think that, man, here in America and in other industrialized nations, we have created multi-trillion dollar industries off of diseases that don't even exist in actually almost half the world because, you know, not only half the world is, is industrialized. So it's just crazy how there's so many influences uh, here that it, it, it just continue to snowball and snowball and snowball with food industry, pharmaceuticals, healthcare system, and that's that's what we need to put a stop to. And we got to do it. Essentially, you mentioned blue zones, and to explain this to blue zones to those that don't know it, uh, the blue zones it was a it was a coin it was a term coined by Dan Bettner back in 2005. It made a big article. He did a big article in a National Geographic magazine, and they looked at the places on Earth where people live the longest, but not just living the longest, living. Uh, with the least amount of disease burden. And so he identified five regions. He identified um, Sardinia in Italy, Icarus in Greece, Okinawa in Japan, Loma Linda in California with the Seventh-day Adventists, and then the Nicoya region in Costa Rica. And actually, they, after he did that, after they published that a few years later in a small town in Minnesota, they tried to apply some of the things that the Blue Zones did. And the bottom line is that after they did everything, they lowered the health care burden in a small town. They really took a community. We're talking about it takes a village to make these changes. We're talking about how do we make measurable changes. So they, um, so they basically, in the small community, they basically lowered health care costs. They shed tens of thousands of pounds. They had tens of millions more steps made. And, they, and the estimate average additional life expectancy they got was three years. So I'm just talking about we can make that difference by adopting those kind of similar lifestyles. So I want to ask this question to Dr. Macaluso, and then we're going to get into our myths versus facts. So Dr. Macaluso, from your perspective, you know, <clears throat> when we think about treatment, and again, treatment from a heart disease, heart failure is completely different when Dr. Lom and I are talking about statins <laughs> over here. Um, but what's just kind of the general approach when you when, when when people treat? Because I imagine when people are seeing you, they're not going to be averse to potentially starting a, a medication that Dr. Lomar and I might prescribe, uh, when they're coming to see you, they're, they're, they probably mean, mean business. 
Yeah, once patients have developed heart failure, it's almost, uh, I, I mean, it, it's really, I can't think of a situation where I wouldn't want to start drug therapy unless we have, you know, a completely reversible potential cause, which is very rare uh, to find a completely reversible cause that we can ameliorate. Even then, if it's bypass surgery that helps heart failure, um, you're going to be on drugs after. But regardless, Heart failure patients really are on a strong regimen of what we call triple therapy. So they're on three different drugs. Um, those drug classes are ACE inhibitors, ARBs, and ARNIs, and then beta blockers and or aldactone. Um, we have additional drugs that we add to patients that have a little bit less of a survival benefit, helping to live longer. But the important thing about heart failure patients, at least heart failure when the heart muscle is weak, when the heart muscle is stiff, it's a little bit less clear. Um, but the weakened heart muscle, or what we call systolic heart failure, weakened squeeze of the heart muscle, is three drugs plus things like hydrolyzing nitrates, maybe some digoxin um, that we consider using, but they have less benefit. And then we want to make sure that people have, if their heart is still weakened enough and doesn't improve, we have a role for potentially implanting a defibrillator or a pacemaker defibrillator, three-wire pacemaker defibrillator. Um, those are really the combination. What's important to know about that is people say, why can't I just take one drug? Well, there's been epidemiologic studies and, and hosts of, of groups of patients from many registries that have looked at the incremental benefit to taking multiple drugs in heart failure. So that's why we say triple therapy is essential. It's much better to be on a little bit of everything than just one of something when you have heart failure. And the stiffened heart muscle, or what we call a diastolic heart failure, we're not really sure that's challenging. Probably one drug called spironolactone probably has the best evidence, and maybe using something like a pulmonary pressure sensor. Tons of research has gone into looking at a stiffened heart muscle and what we could do for that. That's a unique problem, a unique kind of heart failure, but still can affect about really half of the heart failure population, and it tends to be much harder to treat. Excellent. Well, thank you, Dr. Michaels, for, for going to the explanation again. You know, we're, we're not trying to... We want people to do their best, and the reality is, a lot of times for men out there, the reality is that sometimes it's going to involve medicine, and so we want people to know what they're getting to, getting into. But know again that your doc, your doctor, your, whether it's me or Dr. Long or Dr. Macaluso, will always have your best interests at hand. Uh, I trust these gentlemen literally with my life. If I have a heart issue, I'm calling these guys up. There's no doubt about it because I trust them not only as, as friends but also as professionals. And those resources, we want to make sure those resources are available to you guys out there too. So we have about 10 minutes left, so I want to dive into a little myth versus fact. So this is something that I debuted on the show many, many, many months, months ago. But I really like trying to clear the air. Okay, we're talking about <laughs> building trust and delivering truth. And so here's what I do. I, ask, I say a statement and I ask the panel and they say, myth or fact, it's going to be kind of rapid fire. Uh, maybe a few sentences on like why it's a myth or a fact. And we'll go from there. So here we go. Dr. Loam, you're sitting to my right. You get the first the first statement. I shouldn't call it a question. First statement. Here we go. Myths versus facts. Ideal cardiovascular health and myth. Here we go. Um, so here's the statement. I'm getting older, so symptoms like fatigue and shortness of breath are normal. Absolutely not. Again, when you look at these blue zones, they're they're active, they're vital. I mean, they're, they're going, they're working in the field, so they're 90 or 100 years old, and they're doing all the right things. We have considered it to be a normal thing in our culture because everybody is that way, because they don't eat clean, they don't take care of their, their lifestyle. So it is, it is a normal thing to be tired and not be able to do much as you get older, but that doesn't mean it has to be normal. That's not the, that is not the normal state of the human body. It's common. The average person who's older feels that way, but it's not the way it should be, so I call it a myth. All right, thank you. Dr. Macaluso, here we go. Myth or fact? Here's a statement. Heart failure is the same as a heart attack. 
Uh, that's a myth. <laughs> um, a heart attack can be the cause of heart failure down the road. Anyone who has a heart attack um, is at risk for developing heart failure. Anybody who has coronary disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, is overweight, they are at risk for having heart failure. But it's not the same thing. Heart attack, damage to the heart muscle can lead to heart failure. Excellent. Here we go. Next one, myth respect. Dr. Long, here we go. Uh, here's a statement. Diabetes won't affect my heart if I take my medicine. Complete myth. So control of diabetes, control of blood sugars, has not been shown to reduce cardiovascular risk. And even in most studies, overall mortality, it can affect, uh, you know, taking the medicines, controlling your blood sugars can lower your risk of eye problems, kidney problems, nerve problems, but not necessarily cardiovascular health. So there's a difference between what we call macrovascular complications versus microvascular. The microvascular complications, the risk can be lowered by controlling sugars. Macrovascular, big arteries like heart and brain, no. And to sneak this one in there, man, this is the men's health thing. So when you think about overall artery function, uh, one of the first symptoms of cardiovascular disease in men frequently is erectile dysfunction, right? 50% of men age 50, 60% of men age 60, 7% of men age 70. It's a canary in the coal mine, the first sign that you're having cardiovascular disease, right? And so anybody who's experiencing that, they gotta be worried about their heart, it's a big deal. Because the, the arteries of the penis are small, they get affected before the arteries of the heart and the brain. And so there's an awesome documentary coming out called The Game Changers. I don't know if you heard this one. Everybody should watch Forks Over Knives and What the Health, no question. They're available on Netflix and YouTube. Uh, but this one called uh, The Game Changers, showing Arnold Schwarzenegger eating plant-based, all these athletes and stuff. But they take three young college football players, and they have them eat a beef meal one night and a bean meal the next night. And, uh, and the, when they ate the beef meal, one meal, they had uh, a, a marked decrease in their erections. Because when they had the bean meal, uh, at nighttime, they had a 400% increase in erections and an 8% increase in their circumference of the penis from one meal affecting your overall uh, artery function. It is crazy. That, so, is, that, that, and, is, that is nuts. And this literally little, nuts. And, yeah, literally. <laughs> and this study was actually uh, uh, moderated by the, uh, one of the top urologists in the country. And so it was, uh, it was a phenomenal little takeaway point that men... Hey, you're not just talking about heart and brain. You're talking about your manly, your livelihood. So you know, people say, you know, but eating meat is masculine. Well, dude, it's not a manly thing to eat meat if it's going to be affecting you down there. You hit the head on there. I actually make my guys, my guys that have erectile dysfunction. I actually say we got to check your heart before we can even talk about trying to do something. So we got to do that. But that's too funny. Yeah. All right. Sneak <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's great thing. I I allow that one because that's that's talk to guys. I mean, we're talking to guys, yeah. and guys will guys will care about that. You think about something that will affect them and the bedroom and that can be a, uh, they now get their attention. All right, here we go. Dr. McAlunso, myth versus fact. Here we go. I'm going to try to see if I can give you something a little different. Here we go. Um, I like this one. Here we go. Uh, once heart disease is confirmed in men, early treatment is essential to preventing in-organ damage. Well, I think that's true. All right, yeah. 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 Once you have the disease, um, like you said, you have to be aggressive then subsequently about treating it and uh, it's funny like we have people who come in for back pain and will have like a CT scan and they have coronary calcium and it's unrecognized and people are running around treating their back pain and they're not on cholesterol lowering blood pressure or anything so the point is is that if you identify a disease process you have to treat even more aggressively uh, th th than you would normally uh, in someone just looking at prevention. Alright, here we go, we'll do a couple quick more. Here we go, Dr. Mac uh, Dr. Long. Here's a statement. Heart disease runs in my family, so there's nothing I can do to prevent it. 
myth. So you like really, how you're doing really, your own myths, yeah, by the way. Yeah, you got it. So <laughs> when you really look at the stats, what percentage of heart disease is completely genetic, meaning there's nothing you can do about it? Really, the experts say it's under 1%. It's, it's a small amount. Again, genes load the gut, diet and lifestyle pulls the trigger, even if you have cardiovascular disease in your family. If you eat plant-based, stay active, stay thin, and, and protect the endothelial lining of your arteries by not smoking and not being exposed to secondhand smoke and other things like that, you don't have to follow in the footsteps of your family. So complete, complete and total myth. All right, and here's the last one for Dr. Macaluso. Last myth versus fact. Here we go. Here's a statement. Heart disease in men only happens to older individuals. It's absolutely false. Um, <laughs> Sadly, we see many young people affected with it, and it's why it's so important to be seen by your physician at an early age. As soon as you hit after pediatrics, you get an adult doctor. <laughs> yeah, you hit that on the nail. Thank you. So here we go, guys. We've got about five minutes left, and we're going to bring this on home. So first of all, it's been amazing talking to you both about men's health, heart-related stuff. But, but again, we want to have a bigger message, a bigger message of engagement to the guys out there. So let me ask Dr. Macaluso, here we go, we're going to bring this on home. We call it kind of the assessment and plan uh, when we think about people coming into our office and then we leave. Uh, they leave our office with a plan of action. So this is like a call, a call to action, as we'll call it. So Dr. Macaluso, give us maybe a couple take-home points for men to be successful with their heart health. What are some things that guys should be doing right now? couple take-home points. <laughs> uh, you know, we've hit a lot, a lot of them, I think, though, but ultimately, if you haven't seen a physician uh, in any prolonged period of time, certainly within the last year, you need to get there to get your blood pressure checked and to have your basic labs worked. If you have a blood pressure cuff just lying around at home or you happen to be near a barbershop or, <laughs> or awesome. a, a Walgreens, get your blood pressure checked. Start there. And I, I really think the movement that uh, Dr. Long's really been championing, which is gaining a lot of steam, is to is to try to focus on eating clean and um, living a cardiovascular heart healthy lifestyle by exercising uh, consistently uh, and eating right. So, I mean, these are all the things that, that you can do now. But, but some of these things may not be as easy for you to do. So get help from people who are trained to do this and, and really are passionate about it and care about their patients like they do their family and who want to help people live longer and feel better. I think that's the goal. Get them in with get in with your docs. Excellent. Dr. Long, bring us home. A couple of take-home points for men to be successful when it comes to cardiovascular health. Well, man, you know, it, it's one of those things where, again, a lot of men don't seek medical attention. They tough things out. But it is not manly not only to have erectile dysfunction, but it's not manly if you end up developing some kind of cardiovascular disease and you can't take care of your family. And when you really think about it, you know, eating clean is not, it's not a girly thing, man. Hey, look at Tom Brady. Uh, just won a six Super Bowl. He eats 98% plant-based. Strongest man in the world. Bench presses 750 pounds. He eats 100% plant-based. Uh, they're, they're all in the, the documentary called The Game Changer. So some resources for men to look at. For, for guys who are successful in life, they're doing great, they're going out to all these steak dinners because they're taking people out to these business meetings. It's no good to be successful and make all this money and do all this great stuff if you keel over from a heart attack, you know? And so there's a good book called Dead Execs Don't Get Bonuses by Dr. Joel Kahn. Check that one out. Uh, and then another one that'll get men and hit them right where it counts. It's called Meat is for Pussies. Uh, and that's kind of summarizes, you know, because men really think you got to eat meat. That's what you got to do. But when you really dig into it, and the, the book is phenomenal, uh, and it goes through all the different points uh, as to why you know men really shouldn't be eating uh, animal-based foods. You got to go plant-based. Uh, it's it's a, it's a great resource. So focus on your health when you're young. You don't want to be another statistic. Again, one to three to one out of four people, the first symptom of cardiovascular disease is sudden death. Uh, so you got to do it now while you're healthy. 
and, and take it seriously. Excellent. And my kind of final, my kind of final points are this. You know, men, I want you guys to be successful, but again, you have to make that investment in yourself. Every day is an opportunity to get better. Focus on the things that make you passionate in your health, passionate in your life. Use that as your motivating factor. I know for me, it's my family. That what's, that's what motivates me, that's what makes, wakes me up every morning to make sure I can do the best that I can. It's okay to be vulnerable. We have vulnerabilities as humans, but we can still be resilient in the face of these vulnerabilities. So that is my message. I want you guys to take charge of your health. And I tell you what, I want to thank my guest today, Dr. Stephen Lohm. Steve, thanks for coming out That's again. Great. It's great. You're thanks no, for having me. It's you're you're no longer a rookie until you're up with Dr. G. <laughs> and, and now, because you're, you're a veteran, and now Dr. Matt Galuso is a veteran now. We're going to have him back on the show. So I want to thank Dr. Thanks. Stephen Long, board-certified cardiologist, Rush Copy Medical Center, founder and chairman, plant-based nutrition movement, founder, author of uh, many things, including heartstrong.com and learntheheart.com. Dr. Greg Macaluso, board-certified cardiologist, heart failure transplant cardiology, Heart Care Centers of Illinois. Check them out, www.heartcc.com. You've been listening and watching live on Facebook and intellectualradio.com. This episode is written by myself, Mark D. Gomez, MD, and Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Producer is Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Music is by the wonderful Mr. Havis, my brother-in-law. He's talented. Copyright 2019 by MDG Wellness LLC. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for my next episode. We're going to close out my Men's Health Series next week. It's entitled Men's Health Series Part 4, Living Your Best Life. Check me out on my Facebook page. Check me out on my all social media. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. Peace out. <laughs>